As we begin, let's turn in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 28. Always important to ground the observance of baptism and the Lord's Supper in the written Word of God because that is our authority for what we do. And so I want to talk to you this evening and preach to you uh, the gospel and preach to you about what does baptism mean and what does it not mean. So you're in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I know that this is a very familiar text to all of us. It is the, the uh, Great Commission as uh, given by uh, Matthew. It says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the privilege we have this evening of witnessing the baptism of three of our uh, brothers, our brother and our two sisters, Lord. And we pray that your spirit would govern all that is said and done as the gospel is preached. And then as this, uh, this baptismal rite is administered, pray that you will encourage us and comfort us and point us to you. And we pray for any among us who don't know the Lord, that your spirit would work in them to convict and to show them that Jesus is a wonderful Savior who is able and willing to save sinners. We come before you praising you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, we find our Lord's great commission, which really contains three commandments. All we usually think about is the aspect where he says, go. But really, there's three commandments here, and they are make disciples, baptize disciples, and teach disciples. That is how the church obeys the commission that Jesus has given. And as a Baptist church, we are convinced of what we call credo-baptism. Credo-baptism as opposed to pedo-baptism. Pedo-baptism comes from the Greek word paideia, which means infant or little child. But we believe in credo-baptism. The word credo means creed or I believe, to confess. It's confessional baptism in which we confess our belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and indeed is our Lord. And so that's what credo-baptism is. Whenever a sinner repents of their sins, renounces their own confidence in their own righteousness to save them, and places their faith in Christ alone, trusting Him to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, they pass through the narrow gate that the Bible calls conversion. And once they pass through conversion, they begin immediately walking upon what we call the difficult path of discipleship. And some of the first steps of obedience are to be marked out in the waters of baptism as a disciple of Christ, and then to be added to the membership of the local church where you are taught to obey all the things the Lord Jesus has commanded us. This evening, we have the privilege of baptizing three uh, different people. The first are Ben and Ashley Nelms, and then Holly Quinn. Ben and Ashley grew up under the hearing of the gospel but we believe that they've come to truly know Christ in the last year or so by God's grace. And we've been amazed to watch the fruit that we've seen from them in, the, in this past year to year and a half as the Lord has given them a teachable spirit and they're learning to walk in obedience to Him. And they applied for membership to our church, which, and they were received as members pending their baptism this past Lord's Day. So literally, the moment they are come up out of the water, and I promise I will bring them up, um, they, uh, they will be members at that time. 
And then with Holly Quinn, I have known Holly since she was 12 years old. She reminded me of that point this last Lord's Day, and I've just been amazed as I've thought about how long we have known each other. And Holly was baptized upon profession of her faith when she was nine years old. But she believes she was truly converted after that time, and so she wants to get the order right and be baptized tonight as a true believer in Christ. Not only do I get to baptize her, but Lord willing, this Saturday I get to officiate her wedding as she enters into the covenant of marriage with T.J. Freeman. So it's a big week for her, and we're very excited for her, although we still wish you wouldn't take her to Texas, but that's okay. <laughs> but before we dive into, well, sorry, excuse the pun. Before we dive in to the baptisms, I want to talk to you about two things briefly. First of all, I want to talk to you about what baptism does not mean. And secondly, I want to talk to you about what baptism does mean. So first of all, baptism... What baptism does not mean. And there's really two things I want to make clear under this heading. First of all, physical baptism has no power to wash away your sins. You're not saved by faith in Jesus plus your baptism. Baptism has no power to, to save you. It has no power to regenerate you or to wash away your sins. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the Apostle Peter says, There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. And when you hear that, you might think to yourself, well, wait, didn't the apostle just say baptism saves you? But listen to his explanation. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, not the outward washing that you receive. That's not what does it. But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is crystal clear. Outward baptism has no power to save anyone from their sins or to secure a home in heaven for anybody. It is a symbol of that reality, but it's not the actual substance of that reality. And all too often, uh, God's people throughout the centuries have confused the sign with the thing it signifies, and we don't want to do that. There were Jews who lived in the days of the apostles who believed that their physical circumcision could save them. And so they put their trust in an ordinance, a sacrament of the Old Testament. And the apostles in Acts 15, in Romans 4, in the book of Galatians, they were adamantly clear that to say you're saved in any way by a sacrament or an ordinance is denying justification by faith alone. And so they vehemently uh, uh, rejected any such notion of that and said that's a different gospel. When people trust baptism to save them now, all they're doing is swapping an Old Testament ordinance for a New Testament ordinance and putting their faith in it. But to trust in your baptism to save you is a form of trusting your own works to save you. I want to be very crystal clear here. Salvation is granted by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And it's not even your faith that saves you, it's the object of your faith. It's Christ Himself. Faith is just the means by which we lay a hold of Christ. And Christ Himself has the power to save. So the very first thing is, baptism cannot save anyone. But secondly, receiving physical baptism does not guarantee that someone is truly born again. It's not a guarantee that way. Uh, when God poured out His Holy Spirit upon the Samaritan people through the preaching of Philip in Acts chapter 8, hundreds of people professed their faith in Christ and received baptism, including a man by the name of Simon the sorcerer. But in the days that followed, what really was going on in Simon's heart was laid bare, made very, very clear. He tried to purchase the Holy Spirit with money from the Apostle Peter. And Peter boldly rebuked him. 
And he said, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. What he meant was, you are not truly an heir of the kingdom of God. You do not have a truly regenerate heart. Your blasphemy shows that. It reveals that. And he said, pray that God might forgive you for this great sin. In other words, what he was saying is, you're not truly a regenerate man, even though he had been baptized. When John the Baptist was baptizing the multitudes, he called them to repent of their sins. And you remember him saying in Luke chapter 3, there were some coming to him and he said, brood of vipers, that is, you pit of poisonous snakes. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And then he said, bear fruits that are worthy of... Of repentance. In other words, don't let baptism be a substitute for genuine repentance. Rather, truly repent and let your life demonstrate that you've repented by bearing fruit in keeping with your profession. Let the way that you live from now on prove that you're walking upon the difficult path of discipleship. Now, I've just told you, you can't be saved by your works. You're not saved by your own works in any way, shape, or form. But your works are the evidence that you truly have been saved, that God has truly done a work. That's why James, for example, says, faith without works is dead. It cannot save you because it's a dead faith. Um, John says in 1 John, Now by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. He goes on to say in 1 John 3, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Paul agrees with James and John because the same Holy Spirit moved him to write his letters. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. To claim to know Christ and yet to live in habitual lawlessness is to show that you really don't know Him. You profess to know Him with your words, but in your works you deny Him. And so that's what He's warning us about. And yet, listen to what he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you. Isn't that the best of good news? Such were some of you. You were a drunkard, and you were an adulterer, and you were a homosexual. You were those things, but you're not that anymore because Jesus came and made a whole difference in your life. He gave you a new heart. He's made you something different. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous teaches that once you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be an alcoholic. The gospel says something much more wonderful. It says, I was once a drunkard, but I'm not a drunkard anymore because Jesus has set me free. And so that's what the gospel does. So the works are the proof, not the cause, but the proof that you indeed are in Christ. So whenever someone applies for baptism and membership to our local church, we carefully examine them uh, to, under, to see if they understand the gospel and if there's any evidence that they have experienced its transforming power. But we're just men. We cannot see their heart. At the end of the day, only God can see the heart. But we seek to discern as best as we can whether or not they've experienced the gospel. There's a modern Baptistic adaptation of the Shorter Catechism. It has two very helpful questions. And question 92 says this, Will all who outwardly profess obedience to the gospel escape the wrath due to their sins? 
And the answer is, not all who outwardly profess obedience to the gospel, but only those who persevere in faith and holiness to the end shall be saved. Next question, who then will persevere in faith and holiness unto the end and be saved? Answer, all true believers. By reason of God's eternal decree and unchangeable love, Christ's intercession and the Spirit and Word of God abiding in them are preserved by the power of God and supplied with every spiritual blessing in Christ and therefore will most certainly persevere in faith and holiness unto the end and be saved. So baptism does not save you. Baptism isn't a guarantee that someone is saved. But what positively does baptism mean if we look at it in a positive light? Have you ever wondered why Jesus commanded John the Baptist to baptize him? John wondered. He said, I need you to baptize me, and I'm supposed to baptize you. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, let it be so for now that we might fulfill all righteousness. In other words, don't ask any questions, just do it. Just obey what I'm telling you to do, and we'll, I'll explain it to you later, right? Why did Jesus undergo baptism? Jesus didn't need any forgiveness. And the baptism that he was being subjected to was a baptism of repentance, in which a person is, re is professing to repent of their sins. Jesus had no sin to repent of. So why was he baptized? He was baptized because ba baptism is a symbol, it's an identification and what Jesus was saying is, I haven't come to be identified with the righteous. I've come to be numbered among the transgressors. I'm going to experience their baptism because I am here to be numbered among the ungodly so that the ungodly can be numbered among the righteous. That's why he came. So when we baptize tonight, we're baptizing in the triune name of God. What are we doing? We're marking you out. The church is marking you out as people whose God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And who are disciples, imperfect disciples to be sure, but believing disciples, obedient disciples, persevering disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is being placed upon you. Our confession of faith has a uh, definition of baptism in paragraph 1 of chapter 29. It says this, Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Let me unpack that briefly. And I want to basically talk to you about four things that baptism symbolizes. First of all, baptism is a symbol of regeneration. Regeneration is a work of God's sovereign grace in which he does heart surgery on a sinner. We are born naturally with hard hearts of stone. And God in sovereign mercy opens up our heart as it were, takes out our hard heart of stone and gives us in its place a soft heart of flesh so that now we love the things God loves and we hate the things God hates and we desire to pursue holiness because God has put a new desire within us. He's given us a new nature. It's what Paul's talking about when he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's what Jesus calls being born again, being born of God's Holy Spirit. That is what this symbolizes. Again, baptism is not regeneration, but it symbolizes your regeneration. The people who are being baptized are professing, I have been born again by God's Holy Spirit. I have been given a new heart. That's the first thing it means. Secondly, Baptism is a symbol of being united to Jesus Christ 
in his death. When Jesus died upon the cross in April of 30 AD, he was not being crucified for sins he had committed. There were no crimes he had done. There wasn't any wrong he had committed. He was dying a substitutionary death in the place of God's people. He was taking our punishment upon him. The Father imputed our sins to Christ. That is, he laid them at his account and then poured out his wrath upon Christ and satisfied his divine justice for all for whom Jesus died. He was dying in our place, and because of that, whenever we put our faith in Christ, by his blood, our sins are washed away for all time and eternity. He forgives us, he pardons us, because Jesus has dealt with our sins. The prophet Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 53 when he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. My favorite hymn uh, verse, my favorite verse of any hymn anywhere, comes from the third verse of It Is Well With My Soul, that says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. We have forgiveness of sins because we're united to the death of Christ by faith. So when I immerse these three baptismal candidates under the water, it's that symbol that they're united with Christ in His death and His burial. But as I've already said, I promise I won't keep Ben and Ashley and Holly under for super long. I'm sure TJ would really appreciate that. But I'm not going to keep them under. I'm going to bring them back up. Why? And that leads us to the third thing that baptism symbolizes. Baptism is a symbol of being united to Jesus Christ in His resurrection. Jesus was not kept in the grave. Three days later, He was raised from the dead. If you're here and you're a skeptic, the only proof you need is that God has raised Jesus from the dead. That is the proof. He is who He said He is. And that the Father has accepted His sacrifice in the place of sinners. And He's proven this by raising Him from the dead. And Romans tells us in Romans 1 that when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, it was Him shouting to the world, This is the Son of God. This is who Jesus is. But you're united with Him in His resurrection. Paul says this in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. In other words, you cannot know the forgiveness of sins through union with Christ's death if you don't also have union with His resurrection. And by union with His resurrection, you are caused to walk in newness of life. As I've already said, works don't save you, but works are the evidence that you're saved. They're the proof, as it were. They're not the root of the matter, but they are the fruit of the matter. And if there's true saving faith present, then there will be the works that follow. There will be newness of life. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. No one can boast and say, I've earned my way into heaven. But listen to what he says next in verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, do you remember? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, it's not the cause of your salvation, but it is the result of your salvation. If you have union with Christ in his death and you know the forgiveness of sins, you've also been raised to walk in newness of life by union with his resurrection. And you are obligated to walk in obedience to all that he has spoken because now he's the master and you are the student, you're the disciple. And that leads us to the fourth and the final symbol of baptism and what it means. Baptism is a symbol of being united to the church of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You cannot be united with Christ or identify with Christ and not be identified with His church. You know, if you said to me, Hey, Jerry, I really like you and I think I'd like to get to know you, but I don't like your bride. I don't like your wife and I don't want to be around her. Our relationship is not going to go forward anymore because you cannot have me and not have my bride with me. Right. Even so, Christ has a bride, the church. And to be united to Christ is also to be united to his people, the church. And so it is we read throughout the book of Acts that whenever people are baptized after they were converted, what's the very next thing we read? And we're added to the church. They were added to the membership of the church. Question 101 of the Baptist Catechism of the year 1693 says, what is the duty of those who are rightly baptized? Answer, is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church of Jesus Christ, that they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. When we interview someone for baptism and we're convinced that they're truly converted and that they are good candidates, that baptismal interview changes into a membership interview. And we're interviewing them for church membership. And if they say to me, well, I want to be baptized, but I don't want to join the church. Then my response is, then you're not ready to be baptized. Because you can't have union with Christ and not have union with his church. So Ben and Ashley have been interviewed, and they've been added to our church upon their baptism. Holly's been a member for many, many years, but, uh, but is being baptized tonight as a true believer. So what does baptism symbolize? It's a symbol of God's sovereign regeneration of a, of a sinner. It's a symbol of our union with Christ's death by which we enjoy the forgiveness of sins. It's a symbol of our union with Christ's resurrection by which we walk in newness of life. And it's a symbol of our union with Christ's church. You become a member of the invisible church by being born again. And then you add, are added to the church through a credible faith, profession of faith and believer's baptism. I want to conclude this message with one appeal and then a prayer. And then we're going to baptize. Here's my appeal to all of you who are here this evening. Do you know the Lord? I didn't ask if you said you know the Lord. I asked, do you know the Lord? Jesus gives us a solemn warning in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Listen to it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These words sound so harsh and mean to our modern sensibilities. But there's something you need to understand. These words were spoken by the man who loved sinners more than anybody else who's walked the face of the earth. There is no person more loving who has ever walked the earth. And therefore, the things he said are things that are meant for our good, not for our harm. It's your friend who warns you. It's your friend who tells you of the danger that you're in. Just this past Lord's Day afternoon, I was working, I've been working through a book by J.C. Ryle called Old Paths. And he said this, he was speaking of a different hard saying of Jesus, but it applies equally to this one. Listen to his words. From whose lips did these words come? They came from the lips of one who loves us with a love that passes knowledge, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They were spoken by one who loved us, who so loved us that he left heaven for our sakes, came down to earth for our sakes, lived a poor, humble life for 33 years for our sakes, went to the cross for us, went to the grave for us, and died for our sins. The words that come from lips like these must surely be words of love. And after all, what greater proof of love can be given than to warn a friend of coming danger? The father who sees his son tottering toward the brink of a cliff, and as he sees him, cries out sharply, Stop! Stop! Does not that father love his son? The tender mother who sees her infant on the point of eating some poisonous berry and cries out sharply, Stop! Stop! Put it down! Does not that mother love that child? It is indifferent that lets, indifference that lets people alone and allows them to go on in, the, in his own way. It is love, tender love, which warns and raises the cry of alarm. The cry of fire, fire at midnight may sometimes startle a man out of his sleep, rudely, harshly, unpleasantly. But who would complain if that cry was the means of saving his life? The words of our Lord Jesus may seem at first sight stern and severe, but they are words of love and may be the means of delivering precious souls from hell. My own father in the 1960s and 70s was a member of a, of a Baptist church. He was a deacon. He was the leader of the royal ambassadors. And he was also very lost. He did not know the Lord. But the Spirit of God showed him he was a false convert. And he made him a true convert. He came to know Christ and everything in his life and everything in our home changed. I was a little man at the time, about four or five years old. But he was then baptized as a true believer. And I can still remember that memory of watching my father be baptized as a true Christian. And he slipped into eternity five years ago. But we have every confidence by everything we've seen in his life that indeed he had come to know Christ. Here's the point. Jesus not only is able to save sinners, Jesus is able to save false converts and make them true converts. And if you're here and you're outside of Christ, you can fool me, you can fool others, but it doesn't matter because we're not going to be your judge. There's only one person who's Savior and judge, and that is Jesus Christ. And someday you're going to give an account to Him. What a fearful thing for Him to look upon you and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But I would urge you, if you're here and if the Holy Spirit has convicted you tonight, if He's shown you you're not true, that you truly do not know the Lord, I have the best of good news for you. Jesus is able to save you, and He's just as willing as He is able. He delights to save sinners. You know that Jesus loves to save sinners more than sinners like to be saved? He truly does. He truly does. It gives Him great joy to give His righteousness and to take away your sin. 
So flee to Christ while there is still time. Flee to Christ before you do stand before him in judgment. That you might hear him say, come, you blessed of my father. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let's end by praying for the people who will be baptized tonight. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for creating the three people who are about to be baptized. We praise you even more that as much as we can discern as mere men, Ben, Ashley, and Holly have been born again by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know what your word tells us, that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who are already yours. We commit our brother and our two sisters to you, asking that you would lead and guide them in their pilgrimage of faith for the rest of their days. Grant them the grace necessary to persevere through trials and tribulations and persecutions. Keep them from scandalous sins that would bring dishonor to the noble name by which they are called. Help them, O Lord, to be faithful not only to you, but also to be loyal to the bride of Christ, the church. We pray that the souls of the saints will be continually refreshed by their holiness of conduct, by their love for the brothers, and by their edifying speech. Help them to run well and enable them to finish well. We ask that on that final day, we will hear you say to Ben, to Ashley, and to Holly, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And Father, we ask the same for ourselves, that all of us would run well and all of us would finish well. Do this for your glory, for you're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.